Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hi there, I'm Jason Shulman, and this is New Books in Australian and New Zealand Studies. My guest today is Prudence Black. She's a research associate in the Department of Gender and Cultural Studies at the University of Sydney. She's here to talk about her new book, Smile, Particularly in Bad Weather, The Era of the Australian Airline Hostess, published in April 2017 by the University of Western Australia Press. Prue, welcome to the show. Hi, Jason. Well, it's great to have you. So, Prue, the airline hostess, how did you get interested in the topic? I'd actually, uh, well, I'd been teaching in fashion and design and I um, did a PhD around the design history of the Qantas flight attendant uniform. Um, so it was very much a design history of the uniform. But in, in doing the research for that book, I started naturally enough talking to flight attendants and ex, you know, flight hostesses. And I thought, wow, these women are pretty interesting. The stories they have to tell, not just about their time flying, but just the, the development of the profession, which, you know, started in the 1930s. So it was, it was more like an opportunity to sit in their lounge rooms once again and chat to them because they're pretty, they're interesting women to talk to. So, yeah, I wanted to sort of write that history of the profession. So the profession started in the 1930s. What was being an airline hostess like at the very beginning? It's interesting because the way it's portrayed was always like this was the most glamorous job in the world. But it was actually, it was a very tough job because if if you go back to the 1930s, there were flying planes that weren't pressurized. So that meant they had to fly below 10,000 feet, which meant you cop a fair bit of weather um, in, 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 that, in that sort of, you know, altitude. Um, so you tossed about the skies. The planes, you know, it's not as if they, they did have heaters, but they were actually pretty cold. And in the early days, the air hostesses would, you know, wrap the passengers' feet in newspapers and, um, you know, try, just try and keep them warm. They, you know, they had thermoses of tea or coffee. It was very, very basic. Um, flying so it, it, it wasn't even it seemed to be glamorous but it was actually very hard work and also the planes you know a few of them went down too so it was, yeah it, it was a, it was a tough tough job but it was I think it was exciting because there was nothing quite like it you know if you imagine the the opportunities for women in the 1930s the sorts of jobs they could do um, were, were very limited so an air hostess did seem to be an opportunity that was literally out of out of this world. Yeah, that's right. When I fly, I usually want it to be over as soon as possible, so I don't, you know, sort of have my thinking cap on. But you know, if I step back, you know, the airplane is is really sort of a gendered space, at least historically, right? Yeah. Well, I think this is exactly the point. So certainly, the air hostesses came on board, and they were in, certainly in Australia they were called the air hostess and they were to take on that very gendered role of being a hostess and I think they used women because they, there was this idea that actually if a woman is brave enough to come on board then it must be safe so the woman was kind of this token presence in a way um, 
that would that kind of meant to indicate, yeah, well, yeah, they're there, so it must it must be okay. So, yeah, so from a very early period, it was gender, but it, but but men were on board planes too. So even though the first um, air, you know, air crew were, were women, for example, Qantas in 1938 employed. Um, Stewards, as they were called, and they these were these because they would they were flying flying boats, and they needed kind of healthy young blokes who could help actually you know row the boats from the flying boats, um, the passengers out, and and so they were they were often recruited from surf clubs around um, Sydney. So these were the and they or the merchant navy. So they were they were kind of knockabout blokes, and they were um, quite different to to that idea of what the hostess was. You know, she was meant to be a kind of a polite young woman who would you know point out you know what was going down but down below as you you were flying. So um, yeah, so there were always sort of men on and women on board, but the the balance was often quite different. Yeah. The late 1930s, early 1940s saw some, you know, professionalization of the airline hostess role. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? And, and who was Hazel Holyman? Yeah, well, Hazel Holyman was a key key figure in the airline industry. In fact, her, it was her family's airline or her husband's family airline who set up Holyman Airways. And they were the first airline to employ air hostesses in Australia. Um, and she was um, she was never a matron. They always called her matron, but she um, kind of cut a long story short. She ended up training air hostesses for Holyman's, which became Australian National Airways. But she travelled to America and the uh, you know um, to England and I think probably Holland to actually get a sense of what was happening there because air hostessing had started or stewardessing or whatever had started in the 1930s in America so they were a little bit of a, ahead of us so she went and saw what they were doing and she realised that these young women that they were employing you know, it had to be trained. It wasn't just um, a job where, you, you know, you just came on board and you smiled and served tea and coffee. There were safety procedures. Um, but there were also things like they were groomed, you know, they had to have a uniform. Um, but Matron was, yeah, she was a, a key figure and she stayed working with the airlines for many, many years. And and um, the, the, the air hostesses regarded her very fondly and, also um, respected that discipline that that she instilled in them because I think um, most of us will you know will look at flight crew and we, we do rely on them particularly in times where safety seems to be a bigger issue um, it is the crew that are going to say <laughs> they are going to save you so I think from very early on they knew that these women had to be trained properly they had to be certain types um, very kind of um, you know, the idea of, of them being glamorous and good-looking, which is a stereotype, I think, around them, they actually had to be fairly mature because the other thing, they employed young women. They were usually only about 21. And so they had. To, I think they had a maturity or they were trained to have a maturity way beyond their actual years. They, were, they had to be very independent. You know, they had to leave their, their um, families. Um, they're away a lot overnight, staying in hotel rooms by themselves. So it's a little bit hard to imagine it now because now young people are much more independent. But in the 1930s, 40s and 50s, to be an independent young woman living away from your family was actually a fairly unusual thing. And until the 1970s, the airlines really only recruited single women, is that right? 
Yeah, this 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 lasted for a very long time and um, totally discrim- discriminatory. In and you know when it goes through to a later period, it becomes an industrial issue. But there was this sense because the, the airlines demanded and this job demanded a lot of you. There was a sense that you know many it wasn't a job for married women. These single women had to be able to drop everything at the drop of a hat and be at an airline. You know, especially if you're on Qantas and you're flying international flights, you'd be away for weeks at a time. So these were young women who were asked to put a lot of things, you know, like family and friends in the in the back burners. And as I say, for a lot of women, this was a job that gave them an opportunity to have an independence that was was not typical of that period. Like a lot of young women would be, you know, um, teachers or um, secretaries or whatever. They would be in a job that didn't give them give them the freedom, certainly to travel in the way that um, the the air hostess was was able to do. So, hmm. what, what happened when airline hostesses were introduced uh, into international flights in the late 1940s? Uh, well, this was Qantas. That, oh, actually, this is not strictly true. Actually, um, British Commonwealth Pacific Airways also um, flew from Australia up up into Canada. So there were those international routes too. But um, but the the it was Qantas, you know, our international airline that um, employed the flight hostesses in 1947, and they started flying in 48. Um, and that was interesting going back to the gendered question because they already had the flight stewards and within a year of the flight hostesses coming on board, the flight stewards went on strike because they said these birds, and this is how they referred to them, are stealing our glory, meaning we know how to do this job. We've been doing it for 10 years. Why are these women coming on board? And and once again, the, the issue here was that the stu- stewards were doing the, the cooking and the um, the drinks delivery and the the flight hostess was meant to do the practique, which is all the paperwork and, you know, basically kind of act the role of the hostess of making sure people were comfortable and um, they would do some of those jobs but essentially that was the stewards doing that so that that gender division within the the actual craft actually created um, tensions from the onset um, you know and for the most part it, it worked all right until um, certainly until the 1980s when the women um, in particular thought they were being discriminated because men were getting quite different promotional opportunities, um, salaries. And um, and this, this, this history of um, what was happening too was actually happening across the world. So where the air hostesses in Australia were was, uh, was suddenly thinking, actually we're not sure that we're getting a fair deal in relation to the men on board, was happening uh, in the United States. New Zealand, all these um, air hostesses took their companies to court on the basis of um, discrimination. Or many, you know, there were many instances where, um, yeah, these these air hostesses decided they'd they'd had enough. There are some really amazing photos and advertisements uh, from the period. What does it tell us uh, about Australian women in society and the economy? Uh, I think well, the the airlines were were a big big deal particularly if you think of Qantas there was this sort of it was trying to Qantas was very much about taking Australia to the rest of the world so the air hostess became a ambassadress in a way you know she represented the country certainly going back to you know my earlier work with the uniforms the the uniforms were often um 
you know, signified something of Australianness. Like in the 80s, there was a uniform that was um, designed by Yves Saint Laurent, the French designer, and it was covered in kangaroo. So, so there was the idea that you um, you represented the airline. I mean, the, the the air hostess was the face of the airline, and and she was certainly used in a, in advertising campaigns. Um, Sometimes not all that flattering. I mean, they they sexualise um, the air hostess, you know. Certainly, and it was easy to do in the fact that they they had a, a policy of keeping them young, and um, you know their grooming made them very attractive. You know, they were, were all very beautifully groomed. Their uniforms were often you know bespoke, so they had uh, very nicely fitted uniforms. So there was a yeah, they, they, they used the air hostess and. As a, as a point of difference because that was the other thing that through the 1960s and 70s they're all flying all airlines were flying much the same airlines so you actually had to work out a way of creating difference um, and the air hostess tended to be that point of difference or that's that's how the air that, that's how the airlines portrayed them so yeah there were some very um, controversial campaigns not so much in Australia but in America, you know, you had campaigns that, you know, would say things like, I'm Cheryl, come fly me, or, yeah, just just totally inappropriate. Um, and also making it uncomfortable for the single young women on board because the airlines were promoting them as being available when, um, you know, they, they certainly weren't in, in many, many instances. How did, uh, you know, the expectations of air travelers change in the 1950s? And then how did the... Um, the uh, Air hostesses respond. I don't know. I think passengers. You know, it, it, I, all I can think as you ask that question is what is happening now in relation to airlines. Certainly mm-hmm. in the 19, certainly in the nineteen fifties. You know, passengers. It was it was kind of pretty much first class all the way. So, it passengers were were, were looked after. Um, there were the the ratio of of crew to like if you think of the the jets which came in the late 1950s there are only about a hundred seats on there so you know you have crews that can actually sit on the end of the seat and chat to them and and look after them and and it was still a very expensive well pretty expensive it wasn't until you know you have the jumbo jets in the 1970s um, air travel was still very expensive, so you you were, you were moneyed class, and you expected a sort of a certain sort of service. And so, I think certainly in the 1950s, you were you were really fated um, and looked after. And the food, I mean, you know, you get lobster thermidor on a uh, on a plate. You know, the food was absolutely phenomenal. You know, they if you look at the uh, they would have cocktail lists. You know, you could get a daiquiri or Whatever. So the whole idea of service—it was like, it was first class. It was absolutely first class, and it wasn't until, as I say, you get those bigger jumbo jets, and um, you suddenly get, you know, three hundred, four hundred people, and that, you know, it was described at the time as, as having like a a town in the sky. You know, you you have this like a small town moving into a plane, and you suddenly have to. Um, Accommodate hundreds of people, and it it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work in the way um, the numbers in the you know the, the earlier earlier planes. Where actually, I just launched the book on board a seven four seven on the weekend. It was a, a um, you know aviation heritage museum um, down down south, and you walk in there, and when they're empty, you get the sense they're absolutely huge. Yeah, they're, they're you can't imagine how these planes get up in the sky. 
That sounds really fun. Um, your final chapter is called Goodbye Hostesses, Hello Flight Attendants. How did things kind of uh, you know, come to a head in the late 1970s, 1980s? I think possibly in America started where you got you know, the Civil Rights Act in Chapter 7 where you suddenly are told you actually can't discrimination, discriminate on the basis of sex, race, age and all the other factors. And, and this kind of ricocheted around the world. And flight hostesses in America were the first people to, to go to the courts on the basis of this sort of discrimination. Um, and it followed a, across, you know, certainly New Zealand did the same. And, and in Australia we had, um, in particular, I can think of one dispute in the 1980s where Qantas flight hostesses had felt that they, well, they weren't being given the promotion opportunities that the, the male stewards were being offered. Um, they'd signed, all signed contracts to retire when they were 35, which 10 years before thought was, they thought, oh, as if we're going to be doing this job for 10 years. But, you know, 10 years passes quickly and they like the job. And then they thought, why on earth were we made to sign these contracts? So, so they took Qantas to court and it was a very long hard fought battle and um, Qantas kept coming back at them um, and if you imagine a group of women taking on a airline I mean they would sit around a lounge room you know pulling hundred dollar notes for their legal teams it was it was really it was really tough but but the thing and you you know I've talked to them for the book that they knew they were right they knew they'd been discriminated against and and the fact they knew that they were right just they just kept going they thought no no this airline is, is is discriminated and and they're wrong and after eight years and you know one of the women I spoke to had, had two children within that period of the dispute but anyway they um, um, they they got their jobs back. They were reinstated with um, promotion. Um, this also, I mean, created issues within the flight um, deck because the, peop- the, w- the people who've been working for eight years were quite resentful of these women who'd actually been reinstated. Um, so while it was it, it was hard fought battle, you know, not only with the airlines but even when these women came back, it, it wasn't always pleasant on board board the flight. So, um, and this once again, just going back to the the notion of there's often a stereotype around an air hostess, you know, being just a kind of glamour puss. But I think they were always unionised from the 1950s, and they they were, I think, because they gave up a lot for the job. They they wanted the best out of the job too. So in that sense, they were driven in terms of their conditions, and they were, you know, they were closed shop. They they were highly unionised, and and they were pretty feisty women in lots of ways. That's right. Thanks so much for joining us today, Prue. That's Prudence Black. She's talked about her new book, Smile, particularly in bad weather: the era of the Australian airline hostess. The book is published in April 2017 by the University of Western Australia Press. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.